Uh, Sam Wilson, I, when I saw that he was available for the night, I was so excited. He travels so often, and I just appreciate his ministry so much. And even though he's around often, we don't get to see it. And as a church, as all churches, ought to be concerned um, about our Jewish neighbors and be reminded this is not just something for uh, Jewish people. This is for all of God's people as we see the picture that's going to be presented here in front of us. And so now I just got to figure out, where did Sam Wilson go? That's the only thing we need. I'm going to go look for him, and you see if you find him. So I'm a shepherd here in Midian for 40 years. And one day, I was just watching my sheep as usual, and I saw a bush burning. A bush burning? So I went to see what that would be about. And God spoke to me from that bush. And he said this. He said, I have seen the affliction of my people Israel. I have heard their cry. And now I've come down to save them. And he said to me, go to Pharaoh, go to Egypt and tell him to let my people go. Maybe you know. Maybe you don't. Our people were dying. They were slaves. The Egyptians were were beating them and abusing them and starving them and they were working from morning to night. And then it got worse. The Egyptians told our ladies whose job it was to help the Jewish ladies give birth, said, you have to kill the babies. They were going to wipe us from the face of the earth. They were going to destroy us. And our people cried out to God. There was no hope. We were slaves. We had no weapons. We had no strength against the most mighty nation in the world. We could do nothing. So we cried out to God. And God from heaven saw our affliction. He heard our cry. I wasn't there in Egypt. I'd left 40 years ago. But he found me with the sheep in Midian and sent me. What can I do against Pharaoh? I went to Pharaoh and I said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said in his arrogance and pride, I know not the Lord. Neither will I let the people go. You won't believe what happened. God so punished Israel, punished Egypt. God went after Egypt with ten terrible plagues. Ten times he sent terrible plagues to, to destroy the Egyptians. The tenth of them was the most horrible load of all. God said, I will come through the land. And everyone who is firstborn 
will die. If you are the firstborn in your family, please stand up. All of you would die that night. You may be seated. But God said, there's one thing you can do. He told us, the people of Israel, he told us, you can take a lamb, a perfect lamb, a a male lamb of the first year, and you can sacrifice it. And its blood can be poured out and applied to the doorposts of the house. And if you do this, then when I come through the land to bring judgment, to bring death to the firstborn, when I see the blood, I will pass over that house. And that's exactly what God did. What a terrifying night. As we all sat in our houses with the blood on the doorposts, still somewhat terrified. And all around us, we heard the screams, the agony, the cries of the Egyptians as they wailed as through the land, every firstborn died. And in the morning, Pharaoh called us and said, get out of our land, get out now, don't ever come back here. And we, slaves, we went out free. Do you understand? We had been hundreds of years slaves and God freed us from this. We went out rejoicing. We went out with singing, with dancing, with our hearts overflowing with joy. And God told us that day, every year, every year, you must have a holiday. A day of great joy, and it will be called Passover because it's when judgment passed over your home. And so every year from that day until your day, my people celebrate Passover. They remember the slavery, the pain, the agony, the death. And they remember with great joy how God delivered slaves and gave them freedom to worship God as they should. Tonight we're going to experience in a very shortened sense, the Jewish Passover. But before we even begin, you need to have a sense of what it means to the Jewish people. Because the Passover isn't just some ritual that they go through, although, frankly, for many of them, it really has become just that. But the Passover is a time when the Jewish people remember how they became a nation, how a people that was teetering on the edge of extinction, that were suffering genocide, were wonderfully delivered by God 
And God saved them and made them a people and made them his people. And so the Jewish people celebrate this. And they have every year since Moses. So about 3,500 years, give or take. 3,500 years, Jewish people have celebrated the Passover. And the beautiful thing about it is that the Passover is full of symbols of our God, as you're going to see tonight. And so what I would like to do now, Moses, if he was to tell you, in fact, you can read it in, in the book of Exodus very easily. You can read the story of the first Passover, and you find that he said there would be a roasted lamb. You must not break any of the bones of it. There must be a roasted lamb. It must be roasted with fire. It must be eaten completely that night. That there would be bitter herbs, that there would be unleavened bread. That's what God said. The traditions have grown somewhat. No, they've grown enormously. Uh, And so tonight what we're going to do is not explain the first Passover, but we're going to explain how our Jewish neighbors, Wednesday night, celebrated Passover. Now, Passover is an eight-day thing. Uh, and it started last Wednesday at sundown, and it'll go through, um, I should know this, Thursday at, at sundown. Uh, and so it's ongoing right now. Right now is still Passover, and I'm explaining to you about this because you can, this week, go to your Jewish neighbors and talk to them about this because this is an ongoing thing in the Jewish community here in Alpharetta tonight. So so let's go on. The, the, the Passover, I think I'm going to need my Bible in my notes. The Passover... Ceremony is called a Passover Seder. Now, very often people suppose that something as important as this would be done by the rabbi in the synagogue with the congregation, but it's not. This whole thing is done. Can you help me for a moment, brother? I want to move this table up a little bit. It's, uh, you know what? I can do that myself probably without breaking anything. Voila. I think I got it. Thank you, brother. Sorry. Asked you to help, then did it myself. If you talk to my wife, she'll find I do that all the time. Uh, sorry, Miguel. So the Passover Seder isn't done in the synagogue. This is done at home. It's not led by the rabbi. It's read, led by dad. It's not the whole congregation. It's the family, although probably the extended family. Okay, now here I have a setup. I have the Passover dish. Some of you came up and looked at it. I I hope that you had the opportunity to do that. The bone goes here, but if I do that, it'll fall. Uh, This is the the, the Seder dish. Uh, And I have glasses. I have candles. I have some grape juice, in case you're worried. And unleavened bread. Uh, It's grape juice. Trust me on this. You can look at it afterwards. Uh, And so so we, we have all of these things, and these are all elements. But if we were doing this for real... It wouldn't look like this. We'd have a table. It would be covered by a special Passover uh, tablecloth as we have here. All of these things would be here. But the thing is, is if there were, we would have many of these plates and many of these cups spread all around because each person at the table is going to have their own plate and their own cup. Okay. However, since this is just a demonstration, I'm the only one that gets it and you don't. Ha. That worked out good for me. Um, And when they do it, it takes all evening long. They'll start at 5 and finish at 10, okay? Pastor asked me if we could do it quicker than that, so we're going to try, okay? And so so that's the way it is. One of the things I love about Passover is that it includes the children in the family. Too often when we do religious stuff, it's all about the adults. I like it that they include the children and they do that quite a bit. Um, 
And people sometimes say, why are we doing this in a Baptist church? Well, there are a variety of reasons. One of the reasons is that this interacts with our scriptures. Okay, you will understand the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament better by the end of the tonight than you do at the beginning. Okay, and so that's good. But to me, the thing that I'm passionate about, I'm not up here to tell you that you need to know all about the wonders of Jewish culture. So there's some great moments in Jewish culture. And there are some not great moments in Jewish culture, just like American culture, Latvian culture, and everybody else's culture. Okay, the thing that I want to do is show you that the Jewish Passover Seder is full of symbols of the gospel. And we can use it in witnessing to our Jewish neighbors. And so that's what we're doing here. Now, before we even get to this place where the table is all set, mom and the kids have worked their fingers to the bone. They have, first of all, gone all through the house, top to bottom, end to end, stem to stern, and they have done this huge, enormous, very, very detailed cleaning of the house to make sure that Every bit of leaven has been removed from the house. There's not allowed to be any leaven of any kind anywhere in the house. That's strictly out. And so they've done this huge cleaning. And then second of all, they have cooked this enormous meal. I like enormous meals. That's a good thing. So we have our big meal on Thanksgiving. They have theirs on Passover. And they've cooked this enormous meal, strangely enough, with no leaven in it, which is really hard to do. And and so they are all ready. And now it's time for the Passover Seder. And... The first thing of the Passover, now I said that dad leads the Passover Seder. But there's something that I really love about this because the rabbis say, I'm not making this up. The rabbis actually say that without a woman to bring light, the story of redemption cannot begin. Let me repeat that. Without a woman to bring light, the story of redemption can't begin. And so... Since we need mom to come and light the candles, mom, would you come and light the candles? And so she would come to light the Seder candles. And then she would say the prayer, Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival lights. Thank you. Now, sometimes I wonder if I'm being too obvious. Without a woman to bring light, the story of redemption can't begin. I'll go with that. Without a Jewish woman, Mary, to bring into the world the light of the world, the story of redemption can't really begin, can it? And so it all it all starts with a woman to bring the light. And so I think that's beautiful, and that that is a way, by the way, that you could start speaking to somebody about the gospel. The next thing they would do is they they would read, the dad would read Exodus 12, verses 1 through 14. And so we've asked dad to come and read. Exodus 12. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we do this, how many of us think that if dad's going to read Exodus 12, 14, take care of the Seder, that he really needs to wear a kippah? There you go. All right. Exodus 12, 1 through 14. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all of the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an, an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it in according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make you count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the houses, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night and roast with fire, unleavened bread, and unleavened bread with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from both man and beast against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by the ordinance forever. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. Um, so I want to stop for a minute, and, and I want to take a, we're going to pause the Seder for just a moment, and I'm going to comment on something. There are several different places in here where we see the gospel pictured in the Seder. And in the story that Pastor just read, we see one of them very, very clearly. Okay? Now, we already talked about without a woman to bring light, the story of redemption can't, can't begin. And we see part of the gospel in that, in that phrase that the rabbis themselves say. But, but in the story that Pastor just read, we see the gospel. Um, I was, several years ago, visiting our son in North Carolina. And I knew I was going to be doing a Passover Seder, but I didn't have a bone. And you have to have a shank bone of a lamb to do a Passover Seder. And so I asked my son, I said, look, is there a meat market anywhere around here? And he said, "Um, there's one in the next town over there. And so I called over there and I said, do you guys guys have lamb? And they were like, yeah, we have lamb. I said, I'll be right over there. So I got in the car and drove over there. And when I got there, luckily, it was quiet. They didn't have very many customers standing around. I I walked in and guy comes up. He's wearing a white apron with some like messy, you know butcher stuff. Uh, and, and, and I said, hi. I said, um, I have a strange request. I said, I actually don't need meat. And he's like, you know, this is a meat market, right? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I said, but what? I need a bone. And he said, you got a dog? And I said, no, it's not that. I said, I need a particular bone. I need the leg bone of a lamb. And he said, oh, you must be going to do a Passover Seder. I was shocked. I said, I'm amazed. He said, what are you amazed for? I said, I didn't even think you'd know the words Passover Seder. And he said, in the wine, I'm Jewish. <laughs> well, I was double shocked at that point. I was amazed. And so I asked him, I said, so, so tell me, what is your favorite part of the Seder? And he said, ah, oh, 
The afikomen is my favorite part. Almost everybody says that. You'll know what that is in a few minutes. And I said, that doesn't surprise me. Everybody loves the afikomen. And I said, and, and so we talked about that for a little while. I said, he, he said, so you're Jewish? I said, no, I'm a Baptist preacher. He said, why is a Baptist preacher doing a Passover Seder? And I said, because we love the Jewish people, we read the Jewish Bible, we rejoice in how God delivered the people of Israel from bondage, so I want our people to know how your people celebrate. He said, that's beautiful, I'm so happy about that. And I said, can I tell you my favorite part of the Passover Seder? And he said, yes. And I told him the story that Pastor just read. I said, you know, the people of Israel were in bondage. And they had no way to free themselves. They were going to die. And they cried out to God, and God sent a deliverer, Moshe, Moses. And Moses came and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said no, and ten plagues. And Pharaoh sent them out. And, and they, they went out, uh, you know, death of the firstborn, the blood on the doorpost. You know the, they, they, the, the, you know, the lamb was slain, the blood was put on the doorpost. Death passed over the people of Israel, but the, but, but the Egyptians lost their firstborns and the people of Israel went out. And I, I just told this, and he said, yeah, that's our story. Yeah, that, that's it. And I said, the thing is, is I'm in that story. And he looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I am in the story of the Passover. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And I said, so I was a slave. Not in Egypt, but I was a slave to sin. And I had no way out. And I cried out to God. And God sent a deliverer. Not Moshe, but Mashiach. Not Moses, but Messiah. And Messiah came, and, and there was a great Jewish prophet at the time. His name was John, and he said, look. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When he saw Messiah, he identified him. He said he was the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And, and Messiah came. And he was that Passover Lamb. And his blood was shed. He willingly gave himself. His blood was shed to pay for my sins. But you know, just like back in that day, it wasn't enough for the Lamb's blood to be shed. It had to be applied to the doorposts. And Messiah's blood had to be applied to my heart by faith. And I, by faith, received him. And he forgave my sins. And when the day of judgment comes, judgment will pass over me because I believe in Messiah. I told this Jewish man that story. And he was shocked. He didn't seem at all offended. He said, I've never heard anything like that before. That's amazing. I... I need to think about that. And so the easiest way, the simplest way, the best way perhaps to witness to a Jewish person through Passover is the Passover lamb. I mean, it's, it couldn't be more clear than that. And so we have number one, the story of redemption cannot begin without a woman to bring the light. And number two, the Passover lamb. This is another thing that speaks to the gospel. So after they get done reading the scripture, then it's going to be time for the first cup. Now, the Passover famously has four cups. Now, when I began this, I thought there would be like four cups. But there's not. There's one cup, and you fill it and refill it and drink out of it four times. So when they say four cups, they don't mean four cups. They mean four times you're going to drink from one cup. That probably was obvious to everybody but me. Um, and each of these four cups has special meaning. And it's all taken from Exodus uh, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 where it says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, 
I am the Lord your God and one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And two, I will rid you out of their bondage. And three, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And four, I will take you to me for people. And so those four phrases are the... They, they lead to the, the meanings of the four cups. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. Now, if you know anything about the word sanctification, to be sanctified means to be set apart, to be set separately. Okay, we usually use it to say set apart from sin, set apart unto God. So we're, we're set apart from one thing, from sin, and to something, to God. And so the, 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 it comes from this phrase, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. God said, I'm going to set the people apart from the Egyptians. And so they called their first cup the cup of sanctification. And so at this point, dad would say it's time for the first cup, the cup of sanctification. And they would read this passage of scripture and talk about how God sanctified them. He set them apart as a special people unto God. He set them apart from the Egyptians. And then they would go around the table and in every cup, they would pour the juice. Now I'm sad to report to you that they don't use juice. We, however, use juice. Okay. And then there would be certain discussions made, certain things said, and then they would pray the special prayer for the Jews. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, borei peri agafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And then they would drink of the cup. That's the first cup. Now, after that, they have a ceremonial hand washing. Now, most of you would say, shouldn't you wash your hands before you come to dinner? But it's not like that. It's not because our hands are dirty and we want to wash them. This is a ceremonial thing that they do two or three times during the Seder. And it's not so much about being clean as it is following the ceremony. And the rabbis have got a special kind of vessel they use. It's got two handles, and you have to do one hand before the other, and it has to be poured in a certain way for a certain time, and and everything has to be done in very neatly and cleverly prescribed manners to meet all of the traditions that we're not going to bother with tonight. Um, And then the next thing is we have the carpus. Now, all of these things here have a special special word. The the bone is called ziroya. This is called charoset. This here is the chaziret, the maror, the betzah. And the carpus. And so we come now to the place where we're going to deal with the carpus. And the carpus, carpus, carpus is, uh, it, it's, it's going to be either parsley or the, the leafy part of the celery stalk. And so the carpus is greens, and they take it, and I have a bowl here of salt water. Okay? And so what they will do here is they will take the carpus, and they'll dip it in the salt water, and then they'll eat it. Like that. Of course, there are prayers to be recited and things to be said as they do that. And they say that, so Passover is a springtime holiday, okay? And it's a time when, you know, the trees are greening out and the grass is beginning to come up and the mowers are beginning to run. And, and so they're, they're saying, you know, the, 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 the green of the carpus reminds us of new life. The salt water reminds us of the tears that our forefathers shed in the land of Egypt. And so the idea is there's a time of great sorrow, but after the sorrow, there's a time of new life. And so that is what the carpus is telling us. And so they do the carpus, and they, they talk a lot about that, and then they come to the place where they're going to break the matzo. 
Now, this gadget here is a matzotash, okay, which means a matzo pocket. What actually this is, it's this fabric gadget here, and it has three different pockets in it. You'll have to trust me on that. I'm sure you can't see it from there. Um, but in each one of those pockets, there's a piece of unleavened bread, okay? And so the tradition is this, that the dad does not reach into the first pocket, and he doesn't reach into the third pocket. He has to reach specifically into the second pocket. That's important. And he pulls out the matzo from the second part compartment, okay? And then that matzo is broken, and after it's broken, obviously, I mean, in something that goes all evening, they're going to have lots of words and prayers and traditions that go with it. But then they're going to take that matzo and they're going to wrap it up in a napkin. Okay? Now, the broken part of the matzo is called the afikomen. If you're taking notes, that's A-F-I-K-O-M-E-N, afikomen. That's a weird word. Um, and they're going to wrap it in this napkin and then they're going to give it to Chase. Um, because the afikoman has to be taken to another room and hidden away, okay? So, so Chase is going to take the afikoman out in the foyer, and he's going to hide it. Now, people are like, why is he going to hide it? Kids, you're going to like this part, but you're going to have to wait, okay? Now, we're going to talk more about the afikoman and the, the, the matzo after a while. The dad is going to take the matzo bag and the matzo, and he's going to hold it up, and he's going to talk about it. He's going to say, this is the matzo, the unleavened bread. This is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate when they lived in the land of Egypt. It's hinted in the scriptures that one of the reasons they use unleavened bread is when the people of Egypt, Egypt, finally when the Egyptians let them go after 400 years, they drove them out in a great rush and there wasn't time for bread to rise. And so they ended up eating unleavened bread. Um, that may be true also. The other thing is, is that leaven in the scriptures often is a symbol of sin. Okay, and, and so this is, this is bread, but it's, le- it's bread without leaven. So it would be the bread without the sin. And so, that's the, the, so he would talk about that, about the bread of affliction. One of the things I love about the Jewish people, there are a lot of stereotypes about Jewish people. And I would really encourage you not to participate in those. Uh, you say, well, some of them are good. You know what? Stereotypes really by their nature just really aren't good. And even the ones that seem like they're, I mean, some people say, well, Jewish people are greedy and, and, and mean. Well, that's not a good thing. Okay. And it's not generally true. And then other people say, well, they're all smart and rich. You say, well, that's good. I'd like that stereotype. Jewish people don't like that stereotype either. You say, why not? Because people are jealous and accuse them of things. Really, people like to be treated Sort of like people. And so I would encourage you not to, not to do stereotypes, good, bad, or in between. But one of the things you often hear is that they're very greedy and grasping. My experience has been the opposite. Now, I'm not saying there are no greedy, grasping Jewish people. Certainly there are. There are greedy and grasping people in every culture and every land that I've ever been in. Uh, that's, that's part of humanity, I guess. But most of the Jewish people I know, there's, been a, there's a thing where they have suffered. Their people have been strangers, they've been foreigners, they've been refugees in other people's lands for 2,000 years. They have suffered. They have a terrible history of suffering, and because of that, they have a soft heart for those who suffer. 
And, and one of the things at this point where they're talking about the bread, the dad says, to those who are needy and hungry, we say, we understand your suffering. We want to help. We invite you to join us. And in fact, it's very common at Passover time, as the family prepares their feast, if they meet somebody that's needy, they'll say, please, would you come and celebrate the Passover with us? We invite you to come. And I think that's, I think that's kind of a beautiful thing, and I really appreciate that. The next thing is four questions. And so at that point, one of the sons, I don't know if it's usually the favorite son, but we'll pretend it's the favorite son. Uh, one of the sons is commissioned to ask four questions. Now, he doesn't get to ask any four questions he wants. The four questions were written down and decided centuries ago. But we... But my favorite son is going to come now. His name is Stephen. Uh, Stephen, come on. And, and Stephen's going to come, and he's going to ask me these four questions that are a part of the Passover Seder. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat, eat either leavened bread or matzo, unleavened bread. But on this night, we eat only matzo. Tonight is different because on this night, we celebrate our people's going forth from slavery to freedom. We eat matzo because our fathers had to leave Egypt very quickly and there was no time for the bread to rise. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs especially? We eat bitter herbs on Passover to remind us that our fathers were slaves in Egypt and that their lives were very bitter. On all other nights, we never think of dipping even once. Why on this night do we dip twice? Okay, and so the dipping, I just dipped the carpus in the salt water, and then later we'll dip again. We dip the par- partially in the salt water to remind us that life blooms again in the spring. We dip the maror, the bitter herbs, in the sweet haroset as a sign of hope. Even in bitter suffering, their lives were sweetened by the hope of freedom. On all other nights, everyone sits up straight at the table. Why on this night do we all recline? Now, I need to explain. I'm standing, but in a Jewish Passover, they're eating dinner, and they're not standing. They're sitting at the table, okay? Except for that, by rule, Dad's going to have a little pillow, and he's going to be leaning on the pillow, reclining. And the son asks, why is it that we, we normally sit up? Why is it tonight you're leaning over and laying on the pillow? And the answer is, back in those days, slaves had to stand to eat. But the rich man, the free man, was allowed to recline at the table. And since this is the day that we commemorate our freedom, we recline because we are free men. Thank you, Stephen. I don't need that. You can take that back. I came to shake your hand. Thank you for your help. Good work. I'll take that, too. Yeah, I'll need that again someday. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Stephen. Stephen, by the way, you're going to have to help me again at the end, but I'll tell you when and what. Okay. Now, then they're going to have a narrative, okay? Now, when you say the narrative, they're going to explain the details of the entire story from the beginning to the end in vast detail. And it would take a long time, and we're going to just skip it because we've already kind of covered it briefly. And so we're going to skip it. The next thing they're going to do is they're going to have something that I love. It's called dayenu, okay? And let me explain. Dayenu is a Hebrew word, and it means it would have been enough. Like, you're going to sing a song called It Would Have Been Enough. Sometimes it's done as a responsive reading. 
And sometimes it's done as a song that they sing. And, and, and so the whole idea of Dieno, it's, it's a thing of thanksgiving. So, so let me explain. They, they say, you know, if God had delivered us from the death of the hand of the Egyptians, Dayenu, Dayenu, let's hear it, Dayenu, that would have been enough, but he let us go out into freedom. If God had let us go to freedom, Dayenu, it would have been enough, but in addition to that, he opened the Red Sea. If you'd opened the Red Sea, it would have been enough. But in addition, he let us cross on dry land. And then they go on and on and on. He destroyed the Egyptians. He provided a cloud to go before us in the, in, uh, to lead us. He provided manna in the wilderness. He provided water for us in the desert. And they go on and on and on, remembering the blessings of God. Now, sometimes this whole thing is done like as a responsive reading. But what's really fun is it's done sometimes as a song. Uh, the problem is I have absolutely no ability in music. I've always wanted to do the song. And tonight we're going to do the song. And you're going to sing it in Hebrew. Brother, I hope we have slides up here. Yeah. All right. So I've got the Hebrew up here. It's uh, in, in, in English letters and the translation. So you'll be able to sing the Dayenu song with Ben. Uh, did you guys know that he's a famous Hebrew scholar and he can sing songs in, in Hebrew? Hebrew words. All right, thank you. So this song has four, four verses. Um, we a chorus after each verse, and no, I don't speak Hebrew, so I really will need y'all's help. So I'm going to do the, um, I'll do the chorus first. You listen to how it goes, and then just jump in on those verses as you're able to. If you can't, then jump in on the chorus. The chorus is super easy. Just the word Diana, right? So here we go. I'm going to sing the chorus for you. Die, die, do, die, die, do, die, die, do, die, do, die, do. Pretty easy, right? Here we go in the first verse. Here we go. Ilu hotsi hotsi anu hotsi anu mi mitzrayim hotsi anu mi mitzrayim die do. And the chorus. Die, die, do, die, die, do, die, die. Thank you so much. I have been dying to do that for the longest time. Uh, I love it. From now on, when I do a Seder, I'm taking Ben with me. Okay. They're going to stop now, and we talk about the different symbols of the, uh, of the Passover that we have here on the, 
on, on the table. We're going to talk about the zeroia, the, the bone. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't know exactly what they say when they talk about the bone. I know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to talk about the bone. I suppose they say the bone represents the lamb. But here's what I want to say about the bone. Do you remember when Pastor read the story of the Seder? There's supposed to be a roasted lamb here. Does anybody here like meat? Yeah, me too. Does anybody here see a roasted lamb? There is no roasted lamb. In the scriptures, the roasted lamb is central to the whole Passover. That's the thing. It's the lamb. There's no lamb up here. This is all that's left of the lamb. Folks, God gave the Jewish people this tradition. The lamb was central. The lamb is gone from their religion. Do you think this can nourish you? Do you think it can help you? Do you want to chew on it? There's no nourishment in this. Do you know what they do with this during the Seder? Nothing. Because what can you do with a bone? That which is supposed to be central is gone. And that reminds me of the religion of Judaism. Hey, look, Judaism is great for teaching people to be good. It's great for maintaining Jewish culture and identity. But as far as saving the soul or meeting the needs of the heart, it's as good as this. It's a dry bone. You know, it seems to me that there's a prophecy about one day dry bones coming back together. So they're going to talk about the bones. Where's the lamb? That's, that's a serious thing. They're going to talk about the unleavened bread. They're going to remind them about the bread, of the unleavened bread, the bread of affliction that our fathers ate when they were in Egypt. They'll probably talk about bread of affliction. They'll probably talk about leaving in haste. Can I add some things about the bread? So matzo is bread. Now, this is my own commentary. This is not from the Passover Seder. But matzo is bread and for those of us who believe in Jesus the Messiah, we can't help but forget, we can't help but remember that he said that he is the bread of life. And so, so this bread reminds me of Jesus, doubly so in that it's unleavened bread. Okay, now the Jewish people often use leavened bread. They have something called challah, which is a, a beautiful and very tasty sweet bread. Uh, it's great. I like challah. Okay, this is not that tasty. But it's a better symbol of Jesus Christ because leaven is a symbol of sin and this has no leaven as he has no sin. Now, just for fun, I'm going to press the point a little bit. I'm going to press the analogy. If you can see, I don't know if you can see, there are stripes in it. And the scriptures say that with his stripes we are healed. And if you hold it up to the light, you can see that there are tiny holes all through it. There's all these little tiny holes in the matzo. If you can't see it, come up afterwards so you can see it. And the Bible says that they're going to look on him whom they've pierced. And so the matzo is a beautiful symbol of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
So they would talk about the bread, the unleavened bread and all of that. And then they're going to talk about the maror. Now the maror is here in the center of the plate. I'm going to move the bone again. This is the maror. It's this like yellowish looking stuff. Um, And the maror is the bitter herbs. In the scriptures it says that they're supposed to eat bitter herbs. Now what kind of bitter herbs do you think they're going to eat? Well maror is horseradish. Um, And it's bitter herbs, okay? And so they're going to talk about the bitterness of their servitude and the bitterness of of being a slave and and being mistreated. And they're going to talk about all of that. At this point in the thing, and I I need to really hurry because time is just going by really fast. But at this time, they're going to do the Hallel. Now, Hallel is a Hebrew word. It means praise. And you know that word. Maybe you didn't know you know that word. But there's another word, Yah, which is a shortening of Yahweh. We get Jehovah, Yahweh. And Yah stands for God. Uh, so like in Jeremiah, Yah, that's God at the Yah or the Isaiah. Okay. So if you take the Hallel and the Yah, you have Hallelujah, uh, which is praise God. And so the Hallel means praise. And they're going to stop and they're going to read two of the Psalms, Psalms 113 and 114. Honestly, I would love to do that, but tonight we, we're going to hurry on. And so then they get to the second cup. And they would say, we're now at the second cup, the cup of praise. Okay? And so they would everybody, they'd go around the table, and everybody would pour a second cup of, of, of the, the wine or the juice. And, uh, and it's called the cup of praise because it's based on the phrase, I will rid you or deliver you out of their bondage. And so they're praising God because they're being delivered from bondage. They have the prayer that they would pray again, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Barei Peri Agafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And they would go on and on, and then they would drink of the second cup. And then they would have the blessing over the matzo. They would take... They would take uh, the matzo. You see, they do the matzo. They go back to the matzo over and over. They would take actually the first piece of matzo out of the matzotashin. And, aha, uh-huh, here it is. And they would break it and they would distribute it and everybody would have a piece of it and there would be special words and special prayers and so on. Then they would get to the bitter herbs, Okay. Now, what they do then is they take each person's piece of matzo. So we have a piece of matzo like so. And dad takes the spoon. Everybody has a spoon. And he goes around to each plate and he takes the spoon and he dips it in the bitter herbs, in the horseradish. Okay. And then he dips it in this goop over here. Now, I need to show you this goop. There's this brown goopy looking stuff called haroset. Okay, now honestly, if you ask me to put something that's brown and goopy and it's called haroset in my mouth, yeah, yeah, people are making faces. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, you'd want to be really careful about doing that, but relax because haroset is made of uh, shredded apples, honey, raisins, cinnamon, a little bit of grape juice, and some other stuff. So it's delicious. Okay, and so you take your spoon, you dip it. In the bitter herbs, the horseradish. Then you dip it in the haroset. Remember, we they, the, the question that 
Stephen asked about why do we dip twice? We're dipping again, uh, dipping in this and dipping in that. And then, and then we eat it. Now, it's kind of odd. You, you heard of sweet and sour, right? So this is horseradish with this sweet mixture. It's an odd thing. Uh, and so we eat that. Uh, obviously, there would be special prayers and so on and so forth with it. And the idea of it is that life brings both good and bad, both bitter and sweet into life. And so we should be willing to go with that. Okay? Then we have the Beitzah. It looks like an egg, but in Hebrew it's a Beitzah. And so you have the Beitzah. Now, people are like, why is there an egg in it? Did anybody see an egg in Exodus? No. Um, so where did the egg come from? Some people are saying, well, there's no lamb, so they put an egg in there anyway. I guess we needed some protein in the whole thing. Uh, not sure why. They, they say it kind of stands for the, the lamb. But they take it, and once again, they dip it in the salt water. Uh, I suppose that represents, again, the tears that we shed in Egypt, or maybe they just wanted a little salt on the egg. I'm not sure. But So they, 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 they partake of the bait saw. Now, everything they do is done with... Much discussion, many prayers, and a lot of ceremony we're, we're hastening through. And then at this point, it's everybody's favorite time in the Passover Seder because this is where mom brings in the meal. And so we pause all the ceremonial stuff, and mom starts bringing dishes out of the kitchen, and she piles them high. And then we eat until we're stuffed, okay? Everybody has this great, wonderful meal, and they have a wonderful time. And when they get done with the Passover meal... We get to the moment of high drama, okay? So, children, pay attention. Keep paying attention. Okay, so here's the thing. You remember that Chase hid the afikoman, okay? So in a minute, I'm going to tell you to go. And when I do, only kids, adults, you're not allowed. Only kids are allowed to go, and all the kids have to go, and whoever finds the Afikoman gets this prize. Ready, set, go! All right. Chase has been commissioned to try to keep them from disassembling the church. All right. And so this is why the man at the butcher shop told me that the afikoman was his favorite part. Most Jewish people will tell you their favorite part of the, of the Passover is the afikoman because they remember their childhood. Come on, bring it up. They, they remember winning, getting the afikoman. All right, all right. Come on up here. Now, I should know who you are. I have no idea who you are. Tell me who you are. Hudson. You're Hudson. Hudson, did you find this or did you take it from some smaller child? You found it yourself. We have to make sure of this. There are sometimes nefarious things go on in the search for the Afikoman. So you found it. So the deal is, is that Hudson has found something of great surpassing value, and he probably is not that willing to give it up. And so I have to negotiate with him and redeem it. So what do you think? You're willing to make a trade here? Okay. All right. Don't go away. Stay right there. Okay. Okay. And so he gives me the Afikoman, and he gets the prize. Now, this is not a gift for you. Just for the next little bit, because you are the winner, you get to wear the official Afikoman Finder t-shirt. All right, so here we go. Put this over here for just a moment. Miss Kristen won't kill us. 
and you get to put on the, the off a comb and find, the t- find your T-shirt. Mom and Dad, we have to get a picture of this. Here, it goes that way. Yeah. You probably know how to put T-shirts on better than I do. All right. There we go. There we go. All right. Wow. I'm impressed. Now, if I don't get that back, I'm coming to your house to get it, okay? So give it to me before you leave tonight. But for the rest of the evening, it's yours. All right, let's get a picture here. All right, we got pictures. We're good. Way to go, Hudson. You're good. You can go now. All right. Now, the Afikoman is very important. Now that we found it, the rule is that everybody at the table has to receive it. They have to take part. And so everybody is given a piece, and they get to eat it. Now, it's not communion, so you don't have to wait for everybody else. You can just munch down when you get it. And all you back row Baptists lose out because only the people in the front row are going to get some because I don't want to be here till next Thursday. Okay. And um, it's not gluten-free. Rhonda's not having any. Uh, <laughs> and so, <coughs> so everyone has to take part. Now... I don't know if you've been following this Afikoman thing or if you've been missing it. But can I talk to you about the Afikoman for a minute? Because to me, this is the most beautiful thing. So, look. It's, it's bread. And Messiah is the bread of life. It's unleavened bread. He is the sinless blood of, bread of life. It was taken from the second pocket. Not the first, not the third. The second, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he's the second member of the Trinity. Okay? It was broken as his body was broken. It was wrapped in a cloth as his body was wrapped in a cloth. It was hidden away out of sight by chase, symbolically buried as he died and was buried. And then much later in the evening, thanks to Hudson, it wonderfully reappears, symbolically being resurrected. And when it does, everybody has to receive him. Everyone has to take part. This is the most incredible symbol that you could find of the gospel. Oh, I'm not done. The word afikomen, all these other words I'm using up here are Hebrew. Afikomen is not a Hebrew word. It's Greek. Jewish people have no idea how a Greek word got into their Seder. There's a lot of confusion about that. They don't know. Okay? If you ask a rabbi, well, what does afikomen mean? He says, well, we usually have the afikomen right after the supper, so it probably means dessert. Did it taste like dessert to you? No. It's a, tra- it's a cracker, okay? It's not dessert. And besides that, it doesn't mean dessert. Greek scholars tell us that the afikomen probably means, I am coming. Okay? Folks, if the head rabbi came to you, a believer in Jesus Christ, and said, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you the opportunity to insert a symbol of your beliefs in our traditions you couldn't have thought of anything this good. I mean, this is mind-blowing. And here's the thing. On Wednesday night, around the world, and every year at Passover, Jewish people around the world enact the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
not knowing what they're doing. If you can't witness to somebody with an afikoman, oh, I'm just like, it's, mm-hmm, and I'm not, okay, stopping. Let's move on. It is an incredible symbol of the gospel that thrills my heart. Third cup, cup of redemption. Okay, dad says, now it's the time for the third cup, the cup of redemption. It's taken from the phrase, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And so they're going to talk about how they remember how God redeemed them from Egypt with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, how he, his power did it, how, how God in his great power redeemed them. They're going to fill the cup. They're going to say all of the prayers that they normally say, and then they're going to drink of the cup. But we're not going to. We're going to put it back down because I need to tell you a story. I've said that the Jewish people have been celebrating the Passover for around 3,500 years roughly. Long, long ago, on one of those many, 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 many Passovers, there were some Jewish people that gathered together to celebrate the Passover, as they do every year. And on this particular day, they were going through the thing, just as we're going through. They probably, their, their traditions may have varied a little bit, but not by much. They were going through all the traditions, following the rules, following the procedures. You say, Brother Sam, you have a cheat sheet. Yes, because the Jewish people also don't have all of this memorized. They have a Haggadah. It's a book that leads them step by step through it. And, and you follow the procedures step by step to get it all right. Well, or try to get it all right. Uh, they don't always get it all right. Anyway... And, and so on this particular Passover that I'm telling you that happened a long time ago, they were going through step by step, procedure by procedure, and everybody there, they, they do this every year. They know how, they, they, know, they know, it's very familiar. They know how it works. And they were all, yep, now it's time for this. Now it's time for that. Now it's time for that. And they got to this place, the third cup, and the guy leading it changed it. Okay, you don't change it. He changed it. He broke the tradition, and he did something completely different. Now, he did get the cup, and I'm sure he did talk about how God redeemed them with a stretched out arm, and I'm sure he did fill the cup, but then when it was time to have the prayer, instead of praying the normal prayer, he looked at the other people in the room, and he said this. He said, and he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, was it last Sunday night that we had the Lord's table? When they were doing the Lord's table, they were celebrating the Passover Seder. Jesus told the disciples, go prepare a room for the Passover. And so they gathered to do the Seder. And they were doing the Seder, what we did last week. They were, we were enacting a small part of the Passover Seder that Jesus and the disciples did in the upper room in that day. And when he got to the third cup, which cup? The cup of redemption. Then he broke their tradition and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And so the third cup, is very special to us. And Jesus and the disciples drank of the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, 
you may have noticed that there's a chair down there. And there doesn't seem to be anybody in it. And there's a cup down here. And I filled it the first time, but it's just sitting there empty. What's that about? Well, in Malachi, it says at the very end of the Old Testament, it says that before the coming of the day of the Lord, before the coming of Messiah, that Elijah is going to come. The forerunner is going to come and he will herald the coming of Messiah. Okay? And so this is Elijah's chair. And this is Elijah's cup. At every Seder table around the world, every year, there's a a chair set for Elijah, a, a plate and a cup set for Elijah. Because the thinking is, is that if Elijah shows up, that means that the Messiah is nigh. And I think the Jewish people believe that probably when Elijah comes, he's probably going to come to Passover. And so every Jewish family sets a place for Elijah in the hopes that he'll come. Where did Stephen go? Stephen. Okay, I told you I need it. Come here, come here, come here. Okay. <clears throat> so at this point, <clears throat> we take the favorite son. Oh, well, maybe the worst son. I'm not sure. Anyway, we take the son and we say, I want you to run out to the front door. I want you to open it. I want you to look left. I want you to look right. Check and see if Elijah's coming. Come back and report. Go. Okay? And so the son is literally sent to go out and check to see if Elijah is coming. My friend Stan Skriloff was an Orthodox Jewish man who is now a preacher of the gospel. And Stan said this was his least favorite part of the Seder, that he was terrified when he had to do what Stephen is doing. And I said, Stan, why were you terrified? And he said, I was afraid Elijah was going to be there. Did you find Elijah? Is he coming? Once again, he's not coming. Once again, we wait. For thousands of years, we've been waiting for Messiah. And once again, no Elijah, no Messiah. We'll have to keep waiting. In fact, one of the very prominent rabbis wrote this. He said, He said, I believe with a perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he may tarry, nevertheless, I will wait for him every day until he comes. Folks, the Jewish people in Alpharetta are looking for the Messiah, are waiting for the Messiah, and don't know that he came 2,000 years ago. Do you understand the tragedy of God's chosen people looking, looking, looking for the one that came 2,000 years ago and they missed it? What will we do? Will we take the gospel to them? Will we tell them? Time for the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. God said, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. He said, God's going to accept us. He's going to take us as his people. We're going to be his God. And they pray, and they talk about it, and they drink. It makes me think of Romans chapter 11, 
where it says that, it says, and so all Israel shall be saved. There's a day when there will be a cup of acceptance. There's a day when they will turn to him and where he will receive them. Fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. Then they, 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 they do more psalms. They read, read more psalms or perhaps they sing them. They're getting to the end. They always say, Next year in Jerusalem, next year, maybe Messiah will come back. Maybe next year, our Seder will not be here. Maybe it will be there in Jerusalem. And do you remember that in the story of the, of the Lord's table, that when they left the upper room, it says they went out singing. And that's what they do. At the end of the Passover, there are songs that they sing. And they go out singing. And so that's how the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. And as we've seen tonight, there are incredible symbols of of the gospel there in the Passover. And so I share these with you in the hope that you will be able to talk to your friends and neighbors. If you don't know a Jewish person, I beg of you, pray, God, send me a Jewish soul. God, if you send a Jewish soul into my life, I promise that I'll, I'll witness to them. I'll love them. I'll pray for them. I'll share the gospel with them. And I will keep doing it no matter how they react. I'll just keep at it for as long as it takes. Would you pray that God would send a Jewish soul and would you witness to them? We've got to get the gospel to the Jewish people of Alpharetta and of the world. Um, there is all sorts of literature on my table just outside the doors. Stop and get away. I have Passover tracks that you can use this week. Uh, uh, that you can grab and, and use those this week. I have all sorts of literature. And by the way, if somebody would like to know a lot more about ministering to Jewish people, in June we have a conference two hours up the road in Chattanooga called Four Day Focus. I would love for you to come and spend four days with us learning how to minister to Jewish people. Pastor.